Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me on the Weird Monk Podcast. My guest on today's episode is Tyler Nicholson. I first met Tyler at the Onnit Gym in Austin, Texas, during Shift Adapt's Art of Breath seminar. We had a lot in common, as we're both strength and conditioning coaches, and we're both immersed in the realm of health and wellness. We've stayed in touch since, and we both finally set some time aside in our busy schedules to record a podcast for you all. Tyler is a wealth of knowledge, and he's got a lot of experience, and I know you're going to enjoy our conversation. But before I get into my interview with Tyler, I'm going to take a minute to tell you about the sponsor of today's podcast. This episode is being brought to you by 10,000. 10,000 is my favorite athletic clothing brand because they have the best quality athletic apparel that I've been able to find on the market. As a tactical athlete, I put my gym clothes through a gauntlet of tortures during my workouts, and 10,000's products always keep up with me. The 10,000 Versatile Tee is always my go-to, whether it's my workout of the day or I'm out in town running around doing errands. The Versatile Tee shirt is made up of sweat wicking and quick drying material. It stretches and moves with you. It has flat lock seams that prevent chafing, and it also has a silver ion anti-odor treatment that keeps the shirt from stinking. I can't speak enough to the durability and the quality of these t-shirts. No other athletic brand gives their clothing the same level of versatility, durability, or quality. If you want to get a versatile tee or try any other of 10,000's other quality performance products, just head on over to www.10,000.cc and use code LRADFORD15, that's Ellis and Lance, R-A-D-F-O-R-D-1-5, and that'll save you 15% at checkout. Go place an order today for some amazing gym clothing, and know that you're supporting the Warrior Monk podcast to produce more content like you're hearing today. Now, without any more delays, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tyler Nicholson. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Warrior Monk podcast. Today, I've got a very cool guest and someone who I've made friends with through not only the social media and strength conditioning community, but uh, a fellow person who's interested in breath work. I uh, met him originally through the Art of Breath seminar from the awesome folks over at, I guess they've rebranded again, their, their shift adapt now, but uh, the guys over there. So Tyler Nicholson, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me, Lance. Yeah. So you are a fellow strength conditioning specialist, you're a health and fitness coach and an advocate. You're an entrepreneur. You've been coaching CrossFit for, gosh, I don't even know how long. Probably what over a decade. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, we we wrapped we wrapped up the most recent version of Coast and CrossFit last summer. Uh, but don't let me interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. So a CrossFit coach, um, and now the you have your own brand of fitness coaching through Nicholson Human Performance. So uh, you are a well-read, well-understood, well-experienced coach and someone who's been around the fitness and health industry for a while. Uh, and I love having people like you on this podcast, not only because it's a personal passion of mine, but because this is a serious issue that is affecting people on a global level, but especially in America, which is not taking good care of our health, not taking good care of our nutrition, uh, losing our, our kind of ability to have fitness. Uh, so I'm excited because we're, I think we're going to talk about some really cool stuff today and uh, I appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, I'm pumped to have a chat. You know, we, uh, I was really excited to, uh, to meet and I felt like I found a kindred soul back at the art of breath seminar. Yeah. You know, we were both kind of digging, digging on the learnings from Rob Wilson. I think he's a, 
pretty special guy and he he got to teach some interesting stuff and we vibe there. So it's great to have a deeper conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would love to start off kind of by asking you a little bit about your your journey into getting into fitness uh, and nutrition coaching and what kind of started you down this path in life? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I have a very non-traditional entry to the fitness, health, nutrition world. Um, I got into it, I I was doing some corporate data analytics and a basic corporate consulting job in my late 20s. Uh, and I was working in the healthcare sector. And I remember learning about healthcare and being shocked and like, wow, this this is how it works. And it was working on the financial side of that. Um, and it, it was not surprising having learned all that, that it, the healthcare system as a whole does some things very well and some other things not well at all. And serving the end patients in some areas um, is, is pretty compromised by how it's set up. But at the same time, I was doing the corporate job. I was doing a little part-time CrossFit coaching. And that was really kind of feeding the soul where my corporate job was not. And uh, I managed to get in with a gym that was kind of early to the scene. I think this was 2008, 2009, Um, had some really passionate and talented coaches that I was learning from in the CrossFit scene and uh, found an avenue out of corporate America. And so I I got in, learned a little bit about what the business side of a CrossFit affiliate was like. And then you know, in 2010, I left my corporate job and uh, opened CrossFit 214. Very cool. And then it's just, that's been the full-time gig ever since. That's really become not just the passion, but also the, the, the life's calling as well, right? It has, and it's taken on a few different flavors. So the, the CrossFit gym was a wonderful entry, and that taught me a lot of, uh, a lot of really kind of important things about fitness and followed the CrossFit instructor track for quite a while, you know, quickly learned that there were some other facets that were important, you know, diving into nutrition from multiple angles. Um, you know, I've started a couple different nutrition companies. I, one was adaptive nutrition back in the day. And the goal of that was to bring scalable nutrition education to, uh, groups of people and CrossFit affiliates. So that was great. And then kind of Nicholson human performance was formed during, uh, the, the pandemic when our gym was shut down, um, you know, by, by order of the municipality kind of looked at, you know, some, some of the owners around me was like, well, we got to figure out a way to continue to serve people and yeah. also make some money at the same time. And so started Nicholson human performance and doing some remote coaching, um, through that. And it's, that's gone pretty well. Yeah, man. I want, I want to ask you because, um, I too kind of started my own fitness journey through CrossFit, and, uh, not necessarily in, on the level that you did. We're getting into the business side of things, but really like before coming in the military, you know, having this realization like, oh man, if I'm going to make this kind of commitment to a, a lifestyle of being a, in a professional arms and stuff like fitness is super important, uh, plus my own personal goals of what I wanted to do. So it was going to a CrossFit gym and that was See, this was in 2011, 2012 timeframe. So, you know, it was starting to, I guess, take off as a brand. And uh, we've seen a lot change within that that community of, of CrossFit but between, I guess, different people kind of coming in and out of that that circle and it just being a brand in itself, but also a lot of, I think, lessons learned um, from coaching and things of that nature too, as far as like things that were done right and things that were done wrong. Can you... Can you talk to some of the things that you've seen there evolution-wise from just the, the CrossFit as, aspect and how it's kind of changed your perspective and how it's kind of evolved your own mentality? Sure. Um, man, that's 
That's a great question. And I'll try to keep the answers succinct because we could go on for hours about the evolution of CrossFit. I thought, you know, it was really interesting. Like CrossFit started as a website and like, it was just a website that was publishing workouts and philosophy on exercise and trying to aggregate experts in their own fields. And I thought this was rather interesting. You know, they were bringing together the disciplines of like gymnastics and powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting. They brought in experts on running and rowing, and they kind of brought all these people together in a forum and were like, hey, how can we develop people that are generally capable at the highest levels of physicality? And it was really interesting. And so I I started kind of uh, following along and then got professionally involved with it. And I think it was interesting in that they brought people in and were like, hey, look, you can learn how to do this stuff from the bare bones basics. Like you don't need a degree in kinesiology to do some good in helping people with movement and with nutrition and with these different components. And I thought that was great. It was very much an open door where you could walk in and, and, you know, there's one of the biggest criticisms I think of CrossFit that you hear all the time is like, oh, you get your level one and you can open a gym, but you're not qualified to do anything. And it's like, well, yeah, that that's all of fitness. Like, it doesn't matter your certification, like every entry level of fitness, you come in and you're like, well, I know some things. Do I know everything? No, not even close. Um, and it, they, they welcome these new people in. We're like, hey, as long as you're hungry for knowledge, as long as you're striving for virtuosity and you care, go ahead and do what you're doing. And it was interesting because then people started to rapidly gather knowledge and improve and like move up the ranks. And I think the evolution of CrossFit has been fascinating, um, you know, from back in the days, kind of pre black box summit excommunication. I'm not sure if you kind of were around that, but like there was a bunch of people that were a part of CrossFit quite heavily, like, you know, Rob Wolf and, and James Fitzgerald and, um, you know, the catalyst athletics guys, and, and they were all kind of the experts that were bringing material into CrossFit at the time. And they had a bit of a falling out with the leadership at CrossFit and they were kind of ousted. And it was like, it was interesting because they were still experts and people were still like interested in what they were doing. They just weren't doing it on the CrossFit banner. And CrossFit kind of went through this process several times where they would bring in experts and they would learn things. There would be a disagreement and they would leave CrossFit. And so that was, that was interesting from an affiliate owner standpoint to watch this happen and it was it was a little disconcerting at times, but it made sense, you know, I guess in some ways that you would want to keep the brand cohesive. Um, but I think some of the big learnings from CrossFit were interesting, you know, that they took the the best of different modalities, the best of gymnastics, the 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 best of weightlifting, the best of powerlifting, and like they kind of blended them in ways, in high intensity ways. It was like yeah, no kidding. People got an incredible shape. Like who's surprised by that? Like, yeah, it works. Um, I, I am a little bit disappointed in where CrossFit has ended up, you know, a little bit more than a decade later. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't mean to be a critic because who knows if I would have done any better in the, in the shoes of the leadership at that time. But like, I think one of the things that has been missing is an element of quality control. And I think there's debate around whether or not that was that would have been a good thing or not. But I do think, you know, just looking at one of the, one of the things we used when we were running the affiliate is just looking at Google search term popularity for CrossFit. And if you use that as kind of a proxy for public interest in it, we're at like what, 25%, 15 to 25% of, you know, peak 2014, 2015 levels where it was really in its heyday. And I think part of that is a quality control issue where, you know, there are markets and I happen to be one in one now where 
there's a lot of what you would call hobby gyms where the owners have other sources of income. They do something else professionally. They're not actually invested in the success of the business and it, and it shows, you know, and one of the challenges is for end consumers who are seeing CrossFit as a commodity where they just search CrossFit closest to me, whatever gym's closest I'll go. The, the problem is very hard for end consumers to assess quality of the gym before they go. And I think what's really unfortunate is sometimes people will go to a CrossFit gym that does not have a new athlete intake program, does not have an emphasis on coaching, is not really trying to be virtuous in what they do. And I, I see virtuous in you know the, the, the seeking virtuosity um, term that Greg Glassman used. They're not doing that. And people go in and they're like, oh, CrossFit's not for me. Well, maybe you went to a gym that wasn't the right fit for you or wasn't a great gym. And that's very hard for, for end users to assess. Um, and I think it, it has become the norm, you know, and I think that what is possible in CrossFit is not being achieved by, on average, what's being run right now. Maybe that's, you know, I admit that might be a little bit arrogant of me to say, but, um, you know, we always strive to be the absolute best that we could with CrossFit 214. Did we succeed? Widely open to debate. I think we succeeded really well in some areas, probably could have been better in others. Um, but I wish I would have seen some quality control from CrossFit. I would have loved as an affiliate owner to have some certain levels of quality to strive for, some levels of excellence where they were like, hey, look, you need to be doing this, this, and this to be qualified as this kind of gym. Man, I would have loved that. Like we strive for performance. We strive for virtuosity in our movement. We strive for excellence in what we eat and how we sleep. Why not in the product that we produce and, and have some kind of... Um, you know, standards to set for a gym. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's where you wanted me to go with the answer to that question, but that's kind of what comes to mind. And this is something I, I think about probably on a daily basis. No, I appreciate your take on it um, for sure. And you bring up some great points there. And I think that's probably something that affects almost any industry that explodes uh, kind of like CrossFit did there for a time is that, you know, the demand suddenly increased uh, and you have to increase the supply of coaches and or gyms or not that you have to, but there was you know, enough demand to do so. And, um, you know, not, not all coaches are, are created equal. That's we certainly know that. Um, and you, I think you, you definitely hit the, hit the nail on the head when it comes to that, that quality control thing is and one of the reasons that, and I'm sure maybe it's a, a little bit for you too, why I went to, get uh, my certification as a, as a, as a CSCS, as a certified strength conditioning coach, because the NSCA is a very good organization as far as making sure that you have a very good comprehensive level of kind of, of, of pretty much everything when it comes to, to it, you know, strength and hypertrophy, conditioning, nutrition, you know, the, the, from A to D, as far as like being able to be a well-rounded individual that understands, you know, understanding anatomy, um, you know, understanding the, the things that you really should know in order to keep you from um, doing more harm than good with your, with your athlete or the person that you're working with, right? So Lance, man, I gotta, I'm glad you brought that up because that's really interesting. Um, I went and got my CSCS because I was starting to work with a, a startup company that was doing automated movement assessment. And we were working with strength and conditioning professionals in the pro and division one uh, levels. And we were also doing a lot of work with uh, uh, Naval Special Warfare at the mm -hmm. time. And like those people don't care at all about CrossFit <laughs> credentialing. They're like, yeah, they just, and so I had to have something else to even have a seat at the table. And so I went and got my CSCS. Um, but it was, it was a strange experience to have a foot in both camps. 
because the two are mortal enemies, which is a <laughs> really? strange thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I've always thought about exercise and nutrition as like, this is physics and biochemistry yeah. and like, it all has to reconcile. Like we're not allowed dogma. Like we're not allowed faith. Here. Like be. it all has to reconcile, right? <laughs> right? It shouldn't be. Yeah. Well, and then, and then it came out, the NSCA published this study on injury rates in CrossFit. And like, you know, we all, like, we all saw the study and like, I think some of us went, well, we don't, we don't really see that injury rate in our gym. Like people tend to like get healthier and get better. Like their back pain goes away. Their wrist pain goes away. Like we don't get hurt. It does happen with any, like any physical activity. There's risk uh, of injury, but like NSCA, the NSCA published this study and then CrossFit sued the NSCA and they won. And it turned out that a lot of the study was fraudulent, that the data was just kind of made mm. up. And I just like, that was such a weird situation as an affiliate owner, because like, you're, yes, you like CrossFit, but like the NSCA is also, as you said, very credible and is kind of the gold standard for a lot of certification in strength and conditioning circles. And like, you see this kind of like infighting in the in the fitness space. And, and it was just a strange feeling to see this all going on. Cause you're like, you're not really sure like whose team you're on and like, why are we fighting at all? It was wild. I don't know. I, I, uh, I think there's merit to both organizations and I've learned a ton from both. Um, but that was a very strange situation to have experienced, uh, and just as a practitioner, you know, as a trainer. So it's, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, but it was, it was a wild scenario to, to have that go down and have the two organizations kind of be at each other's throats. And you're like, wait a minute, can't we all get along? Isn't this just science? Yeah. Yeah, man. I, did, I actually didn't know that, that there was like a, a lawsuit uh, related to that, that publication. Um, and I, I could see why there, why there would be, you know, if you're trying to, especially from the the organizational stance from from CrossFit, but yeah, it should be. I mean, like we see this in, in other industries too, right? Like the medical industry, like you know, like are we really focusing on on getting people better, or is this coming down, like you said, to dogma? I mean, it's it's like uh, it makes me think of like you know really bad kung fu movies back in the day. Like my kung fu is stronger than yours. <laughs> it's like okay, cool, man, but like, <laughs> what are you practicing? Well, like, are you practicing what you preach? But anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit bizarre, but I guess, you know, anytime there's money involved, I guess you're gonna, you're gonna end up seeing this kind of stuff, unfortunately, right? Humans are humans. Oh, it, hitting the nail on the head. I think that's a strange situation is when you have people's fitness and their health in mind, profitability causes weird things to happen. And I think that's kind of helped me explain a lot, a lot of what's going on right now in the health world with nutrition, with the obesity and chronic disease epidemic is profitability is such an outrageous power. Yeah. Like profit is the 800 pound gorilla in the room and it drives most of what's happening in these spaces. Sometimes that's for good. Sometimes it's really not. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's one of the things that dri drives some of the strange, strange consequences in our world. Absolutely. And that's, that serves as a really good transition point because I want to talk a little bit with your, about your methodology, particularly when you're talking about the clients and how you're helping people transform their health. So can we talk a little bit about, about your, your approach to helping people and kind of like what you do, especially talking about remote coaching uh, for helping people with their health and fitness? Sure. So, you know, I, I come from, I started with exercise and 
you know, you come into CrossFit and, and you're, you're, it's all about movement, learning movements and writing workouts and things like that. And then there's also this nutrition component. And so you start to take that seriously. And I think I was really benefited well by coming into CrossFit amongst a community that really took the nutrition component seriously. And so that was a big part of my entry. And um, so, you know, the things that I've kind of distilled down from my, my 12 years of coaching experience are really kind of three key factors. Like there's three big things you got to get a handle on to really optimize your health and your fitness. And I think people underestimate one, how challenging this stuff can be to change, but two, they also underestimate what can be gained from it. Like the benefits can be outrageous. Um, and the first one, not surprising is movement, like, you know, movement exercise, this is big. And so people, I would recommend they, you know, if somebody came to me and said, what should I do with movement? And it's like, well, you got to move really well first, first and foremost, you should exercise and do so with an eye on virtuosity. Like you got to move really well. And then once you're moving relatively well, layer in some intensity. And that doesn't mean every day, but like occasionally you got to experience some intensity, whether that's resistance training, whether that's, you know, energy system work or conditioning, you know, move well and then move with intensity. And then I think the last part is continue to learn to move. And so acquire new skills, you know, and those are the things that really provide big bang for your buck. So yeah, you should, you should lift some weights. I think that's phenomenal. You should breathe heavy occasionally. You should learn new skills and, and new tricks, you know, whether that's trying to teach yourself a handstand, or maybe you're going to a yoga class because, you know, that's new to you and, and turning to acquire new skills and do things like that. So move well, move with intensity, and then continue to acquire new, new movement skills. The second one is food. And I think people really underestimate the power of food. And what I found works really well, and there's a lot of debate out there on this, and I reserve the right to change my mind in the future, by the way, when I learn more. <laughs> As all good scientists do. But I would hope so. Uh, but, you know, it, it seems like eating unprocessed foods is good for everybody. And like, so you're eating mostly meats, vegetables, fruits, you know, some nuts and seeds, like, you know, some healthy fats. Like if you're eating that way, that that gives you most of the benefit. And if you get out all the processed foods, like get out all of the all the, the things that comes in wrappers, get out all the wheat, get all the, the dairy, like all the, all the process stuff, get it all out. Uh, people see enormous benefits to this stuff and they really underestimate like how strict you got to be to get where they want to go. Um, you know, and there's this tough realization that people have when they recognize that like 90% of the grocery store will slowly make them slick, sick and kill them. And it's like, yeah, is it fair? No. Is it true? Yeah. Um, so like unprocessed food, and movement are two great things. And then, you know, I kind of run into these other components as well that very consistently give people enormous benefit. And I, I think you might agree on this front. Um, you know, sleep, hydration, and habits around stress are like the lifestyle things that I think are big. You know, if you're not getting seven hours of sleep a night on average, you're giving up so much in terms of like chronic health. You're giving up you know, cognitive performance and, and memory formation, you're giving up mood stability, you're going to be susceptible to emotion, emotional swings and things like that, that, that people who are sleeping enough don't, not to mention there's all these chronic disease um, risks that kind of come in, you know, we, we, mm -hmm. we think that Alzheimer's and dementia is linked to sleep deprivation. And we know that like type two diabetes, and even like heart disease are linked to sleep deprivation, like, it's the one thing we can't figure out a pill to fix is like sleep. Um, 
you know, and then, and then hydration, we're learning hydration is not just about fluid intake, right? It's not just about water. It's about mineral content too. Like, you know, sodium is not the thing causing high blood pressure. Like for God's <laughs> sakes, can we, can we just recognize that and be like, okay, it's not the sodium. Like we need salt. Like salt is a big deal. And there, there's other electrolytes that are important too. And then, you know, I think the last one, and this one can be really the, the tail that wags the dog is stress habits. Um, you know, having a coping mechanism that allows you to cope with stress, whether that's meditation, whether that's breath work, cold exposure. I think there's some wonderful tools available. You know, I think, you know, the art of breath or, or the shift adapt guys are doing some great work on that front. I think Wim Hof has done an amazing job popularizing cold exposure and giving people some tools to deal with stress. But I would say a vast majority of the clients that I work with are either knowingly or unknowingly using food to cope with stress. Yeah. And I see that all the time. And for people that are doing that, like, don't be ashamed of it. It's normal. Everybody does it. Let's figure out a way that we can replace that with something that is healthier and gives you more options. So, yeah, I think, I think in terms of like movement, uh, you know, nutrition and then lifestyle, that's what I got. That's what I've distilled it down to. Those, those are the big hitters. No, that's beautiful, man. And I love it because it even comes full circle, right? Because coming back to the, the the tail end there, talking about the stress uh, management habits, like your movement practice coming back to step one is one of the best ways to help cope with stress, right? So if we can get you movement and you can start getting some good endorphins flowing from a from a good movement practice, then you know, you're like, and then the cycle continues and we just keep improving from there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's wild. Like I, I have this memory uh, of long, long ago. And and if I if I have simply fabricated this in my own mind, forgive me, but like I, I swear there was a point at which Tom Cruise was on TV and he got a bunch of heat because he was saying like something on the order of like, hey, look, if we all got outside and got some sunlight and we exercised, we took care of ourselves, we wouldn't need all these uh, psychological medications, wouldn't need all these mind altering medications for depression, anxiety, et cetera. And like, I remember at the time I was like, man, this guy's bonkers. Like, this is nuts. Now I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. My, how, how my mind has changed on that front where I have to agree with you. And like the, the mental health battle, like you got to start with the physical health. Like a lot of my clients are fighting serious mental health battles. I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counselor, so I don't I'm not their primary help on that front, but I will tell you that like in the in the war for mental health, the physical health component is the supply lines. And like the the physical health stuff may not win the mental health battle, but if you lose the physical health part, you are going to lose the mental health battle. It's absolutely necessary. And uh, you know, that's just one man's opinion, but I think from having worked with a bunch of people that deal with real mental health issues, if we can keep them exercising, keep their food clean, keep them sleeping well, man, they're just set up to win that fight. They're set up in such a better position. Absolutely, man. Um, I've, I've heard it from so many experts, people with a lot more letters attached to their names than, than, than you or you or I, um, speak to it too. And it's, you know, um, sure. Do the SSRIs and the antidepressants have their, their place the, for certain people? You know, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that everybody, you know, stop, stop taking whatever you're on or whatever your doctor recommends. But um, I think we can only see people benefit in their mental health um, from focusing on, on the things you've mentioned, you know, getting physically active, getting out the processed foods, starting some sort of other, you know, additional stress relieving practices, 100%. Um, and yeah, you and I kind of, um, went back and forth a little bit on this because I noticed for a while ago, I, gosh, I guess it was probably last year 
um, you had a post about the national strategy on hunger, nutrition, and health that the White House has put out. Um, dude, I, I, I haven't read it front, front to back, um, but there's some stuff in there that's just from anybody that has a true background in nutrition. Um, it, it, it's like, it's kind of like, who, who are these experts that are advising the people in the White House? Like what, can we talk about some of the stuff with like what, the, what the strategies that are being recommended to people and how they're kind of not really pointing people in the right direction? Yeah. You know, and, and I think it's been, um, it's been, you'll have to forgive me. It's been a minute since I read through that. And so some of my uh, comments might be slightly off, but what I, what I remember reading it is a, it's not all bad. I think there's some really good things in that strategy. I think there's a lot of components to nutrition that are, that are hard just from a logistics standpoint, like socioeconomics have a huge impact on people's you know, access to high quality food. And like, let's be honest, like, it, you know, unprocessed food can be a challenging to get based on who you are, where you live and what's around you. B, it can be very pricey. Um, you know, but there's, there's some silliness happening here. Um, you know, one is like the demonization of sodium is kind of interesting. Um, like, I don't, I don't see sodium causing people's problems. I can understand why that's confusing because I think a lot of processed food has a high sodium content to it. And so, you know, when you, you eliminate sodium, you kind of eliminate the processed food uh, as a, a way to do that. And so that, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes people healthier. So like the demonization of sodium is interesting. The demonization of fat, I think is misguided. Um, you know, as long as we're not talking about like trans fats or something weird that has been processed. Right. Um, seed oils. You know, and they're, yeah. Oh, that, that, so the seed oils is an interesting one, not to go down a rabbit hole here, but like, so, so that's interesting uh, because like, this is not necessarily like um, the government or, or the white house administration pushing it, but I've, I've seen some interesting stuff come from like nutrition scientists and forgive me going on a tangent, but like, this has been troubling me lately. It's like, I see some guys, some really credible nutrition scientists, some guys that are very intelligent and they do great work in the nutrition space defending things like seed oils and sugar and like canola oil. And like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. Like, uh, like Lane Norton and Alan Aragon, like these guys are smart. Like these mm. dudes are real scientists doing real work and they're like out here publishing social media. And maybe I'm just min misunderstanding what they're saying, but they're out here. Like, uh, you know, Alan Aragon took a bunch of bunch of heat lately because he, he came out saying that like 90% of the human data on canola oil shows positive outcomes. And it's like, well, that that's inconsistent with my personal experience working with clients. And it's like, hey, is that the message we need to be sending the public? Like these guys have huge followings. They're very smart. They're well-spoken. They're doing good work. Like, is that really the message we need them kind of like sending out to the public is like that? Yeah, canola oil is healthy or like, you know, sugar is not that big of a deal as long as you're not a caloric surplus. It's like, I don't I don't know that those messages are really that helpful. So that stuff's been very confusing uh, for me to see, but yeah, you know, back, back to the, uh, national strategy on hunger, yeah. nutrition and health. Um, you know, the, I, I think we're just not, there's still like, you know, a few decades behind on understanding what's actually causing people problems in the health space, which to me is like, is a complex problem, but you can distill it down to like the simplicity of like processed food, 
really kind of messes with people's hunger hormones. Mm -hmm. And like, I think you'll agree that if you like sit down with a bag of potato chips, it's very easy to eat a whole bag of potato chips. Whereas like, if you eat like a potato, it's very hard to eat the same amount of calories in like an actual whole food. And so the processed food is throwing people's hunger hormones off. So they're consuming more calories than they think they are. The processed food is also causing systemic inflammation, which is, you know, like basically like smoking for your digestive system. And this causes problems and how it causes problems. There's a lot of individual variation and that makes it confusing. Some people get heart disease. Some people get type two diabetes first. You know, some people get, get, you know, a lot of cancer, I think is, is metabolically driven. And for some reason, we're not willing to, to admit that. Um, but like, we're causing all these problems with like a lot of processed food, which is very profitable. And now we've kind of tacked on this, this secondary piece of it, which is the pharma industry has kind of glommed onto this. And they're interested in selling, you know, statins and blood pressure medications. And like, you know, we, we can get into Ozempic if you want and semaglutide and like the problems that that's going to cause. But so you've got the food industry, which is entirely based around processed food is profitable. And now you've got this massive, massive pharmaceutical industry, which is going to manage the diseases. They're not interested in curing it, like curing disease. There's no money in curing disease. That's right. Sick society is a profitable society. Exactly. Like we don't need to like, let's not cure these people. Let's give them something they have to take for the rest of their life. And that is a brilliant, brilliant business model. Yes. Yeah. Um, I saw something the other day uh, and it was, I won't call out who it was, but it was uh, someone I respect highly in the, in the military veteran tactical community um, calling out a Pfizer former CEO on something that was said internationally that was actually misinformation. There was there was basically a video that was edited to say that oh by twenty you know by twenty twenty three we want to we want to lower the world's population by fifty percent, um, which sounds like an, a crazy thing to hear, right? Um, but to me, it didn't like it didn't add up. I was like, why would one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world want to remove, reduce, make their market disappear by fifty percent? Like that's not that's not a good business model. I did, I'm like, I don't want to. Anyway, I did some so did some digging, and fact finding, and found out that the video was actually edited. And the original quote was, "We want to reduce the number of people who can't afford our medications by fifty percent." Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can say all your. Say, say all you want about pharmaceuticals. These people are not stupid. You know, like they're, they're brilliant. Yes. Um, you know, and, and I think I don't, I don't mean to demonize all of big pharma because there are definitely life-saving, life-saving medications out there. And there's people doing amazing stuff to improve the population, but there is the situation, like they're publicly traded companies. And so they're like, their primary ethical obligation is to create a profit. And so that drives some really interesting scenarios. And like, I think we saw this through the pandemic, there was clear profit motive mm -hmm. in some areas. And I think there was some, you know, some ethically questionable messaging around things like vaccines that, that, you know, was not necessarily true. And, and, and was it, was it the best information we had available at the time? Hmm, that's, I don't know, but it makes you wonder, right? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, we can, we can go back and look at how the FDA, uh, guidelines used to, you know, everything started to become blame fat for cardiovascular disease, right? Uh, and so everything became a non-fat food, but they upped it with sodium and they upped it with sugar um, <laughs> and to try to make, I guess, things taste better uh, or something like that. And now what? Now what's the, you know, the, the, the number one disease that's continuing to take over America? It's diabetes. So it's, 
it's it's one of those things where it's like you know unfortunately especially after 2020 right this whole thing of labeling misinformation became a very big thing and it's a huge concern right we 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 have to try to do our best to fact check and try to keep information uh responsibly put out especially with the power that the internet has and social media has right where pe- people of our i guess our generation and younger are getting like the majority of their news now through social media and not through the traditional news outlets and things like that um, but speaking to the misinformation thing is it's like, well, if the people who are telling you it's misinformation 10 years down the road said, oh, it was, we had it wrong. It's like, well, then you were actually feeding us min- misinformation. You just took you a long time to finally get a- getting around to admit it. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I, I worry because like the, the nutrition world and the fitness world is challenging and confusing. And like, it's been my full-time profession for more than a decade. And like sorting some of this stuff out gets tough. And like, so I I feel for the average person who's trying to sort it out. Like, I think there's, you know, a lot of confusion out there. Some people are like, oh, like I, you know, should I, should I go vegan? Like, you know, going Mm -hmm. animal free, like that can be compelling or like, you know, should I go high carb? Should I go low carb? Should I do keto? Should I intermittent fast? Should I eat regularly? Like, this is a challenging situation, right? To sort out all the different data and kind of figure out you know, cardinality of this stuff. So I, I, I feel for the average person that's just trying, you know, they, they've got a job, they got a family, they got stuff to do. Like they don't have time to spend hours on the internet and figure this stuff out. And, and I think, you know, just kind of packaging it in a way that is easily digestible that allows people to make change, I think is that's, that's an important thing. Absolutely. And, and it almost coming back to the dogma too thing about, about what, uh, what what fitness affiliate you belong to? We, we see that with with the dietary habits too. I mean, you know, Doc Saladino. I think he puts out some really interesting and in, information. But like, do I do I think that like eating some spinach and like having some broccoli is gonna is gonna kill you? No, man. Like it's just it's okay. Like I, I think eating some some vegetables in your diet is is a perfectly healthy thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and that's interesting because like I think. Like I find Doc Saladino's um, content interesting, and I think he puts forth some interesting information. Like, am I, am I a hundred percent carnivore? No, um, and it's it's not the path I take most of my clients on. But I think he's probing some interesting topics, and and it seems as though he's doing his best to try to put out valid information that's helpful to people. And so, are there different camps and different approaches? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, I think more Doc Saladino, less Liver King. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. That, Wait, come on. We we basically had to dox that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, he, don't get me wrong. Like, he's a marketing genius. Absolutely. Like, he's making tons of money. Absolutely. Like, he he should do courses on social media engagement. <laughs> yeah, that's like, how he should make his money. Yeah, he's he's wildly successful. Um, but like. Anybody that looked at that physique and was like, yeah, you, you get that from like eating raw foods has not spent time around people that eat the way that he was talking about because they don't end up looking like right. that. Like that's that you, you have to you have to introduce some some exogenous substances to end up looking like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, we could I guess we could go on and on about the social social media thing. Right. Because there's everything under the sun there. But, you know, I, would you agree that I think. um you know, sometimes it takes a different approach with different people because, you know, based off of one, what their, what their health goals are, right. Whether they're just trying to lose weight or whether they're trying to gain muscle or, 
or what that may be. And also, we're all individual walking chemistry kits, right? People have food allergies and food sensitivities. And you, you sometimes you have to experiment with a diet for a while and make adjustments to figure out what works or doesn't work for an individual. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think a great question, like what I, what I ask people is, you know, they, they'll, people want advice, right? And they want to come to you and they want advice or they want validation. They'll say, Hey, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Should I change anything? I'm like, well, is it working? And, and they say, sometimes they'll just say, yeah, it's working great. And I'm like, cool. Don't change a thing. Cause if it's working, don't change it. And like, it doesn't matter what I believe, like if it's working for you, then that's all that matters. And there can be reasons that are, you know, beyond the surface of as to why something's working. And like, you know, while I think many, most human organisms are generally the same when it comes to like, you know, what they should eat and how they should behave. Most people are the same, but there's the values question too. And so I think this is one of the things that I like teaching my people. And, and hopefully when they leave my coaching program, what I want them to say when somebody asks them how they eat is they just say, I eat whatever I want because they understand the mechanisms at play. They understand like what things cost them and how they benefit them because mm -hmm. there's not only a cost to, to eating, you know, pizza and drinking beer, there's a benefit, right? Like that stuff can bring you joy. Like it can be part of, part of a cultural experience. It can be part of family bonding. Like there, there is positives to junk food and, and to, to, you know, drinking alcohol and things like that. There's clear positives to these things. And so like understanding the mechanisms so you can get away with as much life enrichment as possible without sacrificing your health and fitness is I think where, where we should all strive to be. And so I, I try to teach people like all the mechanisms involved and then where balance ends up for them is very individual. You know, some people want to be shredded and see all of their abdominal muscles. I find that most people outside their twenties have different values than that. They're, <laughs> they're more interested and in like, they're like, yeah, I want to be healthy and have energy to like play with my kids and like, I don't want to be overweight. I like to look in the mirror and be pumped about what I see. Um, but they're also interested in balance and like having fun with their friends and like, you know, going out on, out to eat on occasion. So it's, it is about balance. And I think the better you understand the mechanisms at play here of like food quality and, you know, macronutrients and calories and kind of all this other stuff, the better you can game the system to really like enjoy a rich, wonderful life without any guilt or negative emotions around your behavior. And, and I think that's, that's a solid goal for us all. Absolutely. And I, lo I love that you harped on balance too, because that is the theme of this podcast, right? Is, is finding that balance in, in your lifestyle and in what you do. And, and that's, that's a huge part of it for people. They're just, they're not able to find a balance between, you know, their movement and their eating practices and their stress handling. And if they can find it, you know, they're generally going to be just living better quality of life. I, I hope so. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, and this is, this is interesting because like the, you get the body positivity movement and things like that. And I, I, I think there's some confusion around what's what in that regard. I think all human bodies are amazing. Like the human body is incredible. It does unbelievable things and everybody's body is incredible. I think that's very different than something like, you know, healthy at any size, which is, is not really supported by yeah. the scientific evidence at this point. Um, but yeah, you know, balance and where you want to end up, like, I think individuals should have power over their own bodies and should be able to control the variables involved. And, and most people's problem, I think, is the mechanisms are complex and they're confusing and it's hard to figure out what works for them. And I think a lot of people very understandably just throw their hands up and are like, no, screw it. I don't want to think about it anymore. And 
I think given the amount of confusing information out there, that's a very reasonable response. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, my man, you've recently launched a, a new program, right? Uh, what can you tell me a little bit about it and let anybody listeners kind of know what's going on with that? Sure. So, so it's called the holistic transformation program. And what it is, is an aggregate of all the big components necessary to optimize your health and fitness kind of packaged into a 12 week iterative habit building program. And what I want to make available to people is, is somebody that looks in the mirror and says, man, that really doesn't look like me. Like I, I wasn't overweight before. Maybe they go to a doctor's visit and the doctor says like, Hey, your, your blood work, uh, is showing some risk factors. Like you need to change your diet and exercise. And I'd like to give these people that have a desire for something different when they stick their hand up and they're like, Hey, look, I'm willing to make a change. What should I do to feel better, to be healthier? They want to lose some weight and maybe there's some other things they want to tackle, right? Maybe it's high blood pressure. You know, maybe they're at risk for type two diabetes or they maybe they've just been diagnosed with type two diabetes, but they're willing to make a change and they're ready. I want to provide some, those people with just a, a no bullshit approach to what works. And are there other approaches that work? Yeah, maybe. Um, but I know this one works. And so what we do is over the course of 12 weeks, we give people information one lesson at a time and we build habits and we're basically building a pyramid until by the end of the 12 weeks, they kind of understand all of the factors at play here. They understand how food quality works. They understand about macronutrients and calorie balance. They've got some improvement around sleep. They understand some basic supplementation, hydration. They even understand a little bit about exercise and how that relates to general health and fat loss, which I think is very misunderstood. And I want to give people the tools, those that want to make a change. I'd like them to have the tools in their hands to make that change and to feel like they've never felt before, just feel amazing. And now they can change their body in any way they want. If they want to lose a ton of body weight and they got, want to get shredded, look like a bodybuilder, great, good for them. Maybe they just want to lose 20 pounds. And that's great. Where, where balance leaves them is awesome. But I'd like them to have the tools and the autonomy to make those decisions themselves and see how far they want to take it. But I guarantee that if you go through these steps and you go through this process, A, you're going to learn some stuff. And I think that's powerful because a good question to ask when you're doing any nutrition program is, can I do this for the rest of my life? And if the answer is no, what happens when you stop? Right. So this is something they can do for the rest of their life in some version. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they're going to find balance, but like going through that process, they're going to learn the tools available to them. And once you've learned that it's, it, you can't unlearn it. It's permanent. And so this is a kind of a, a course that they're going to take over 12 weeks. That's hopefully going to last them a lifetime. Now they may deviate from that, but that's their choice to do so. They may come back to it if they want change again. And I think teaching people how all this stuff works, uh, leaves them in a really powerful state to control their chronic health, which is something that happens on a daily basis. When you go to the gym, when you take a walk, when you decide what goes on your plate, like that's how we cultivate health. It doesn't happen in the doctor's office. It happens every single day in your home or in your gym. And so I, I would love for people to be empowered to have the tools to improve their health and, and their body and their, their quality of life in the ways that they want. I love that, man, because that's, I think, really what separates uh, good coaches from just people who are out there, I guess, doing it to, you know, just as a paycheck is 
like you said, empowering people. Like, you know, you want to, you want to get your client to a place where they're able to make the changes in the decisions and the techniques and they have the abilities themselves, right? Not necessarily to have to have their hand held. Uh, and the best way to do that for sure. I mean, of course, encouragement and watching for proper technique and giving, you know, suggestions and guidance, but giving the education and knowledge, that's, that's totally key, man. So I love that you say that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a great way to do it. Like the, the goal of any coach is to make themselves obsolete, right? Mm -hmm. And so you want to teach people what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it so they can learn. And, you know, you, it, you may try to put yourself out of a job as a coach and like, just teach everybody everything, you know, but really what you're doing is just kind of like, you're, you're going to spread the knowledge of what you know so much further. And, and hopefully that's what we're doing is, is, you know, spreading some of these techniques. So if I teach somebody some nutrition stuff and their spouse also loses 15 pounds and their blood pressure comes back into a normal range and they feel great about themselves, I love that. Has their spouse paid me a dime? No. Am I happy about the outcome? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's no, there's no shortage of like market here. I think, you know, we're, we're what approaching the point where I think, I think we're right around half of the U S population is struggling with obesity and, I'm willing to bet that while some of those people are not concerned by it, there is a significant number of people that wish things were different. And for the people that want to make a change, and there's no, there's no moral prerogative, there's no ethical prerogative to make a change here. Um, if, you, if they want to make a change, like, I think the medical system is not going to offer them something of value um, in that regard. And so the situation where the pharmaceuticals are you know, life-saving for some of these chronic diseases, absolutely. But for people that want to make a lifestyle change and they want to change it through other means, I just don't see like a readily available solution. Like just telling people like, oh, just eat less and exercise more. Like that, that's not real. Like that's not real advice. Like mm -hmm. that's not something you, you can reliably execute on. Um, and so I, I want to provide a solution to those that are interested in a change. And, and I've found a way that works and will continue to hone that and evolve it as I learn more. And, you know, as more experts put good knowledge out into the field. We'll hopefully incorporate that and hopefully make it uh, more potent. You know, I'm, I'm concerned. Like I was just down a rabbit hole the other day. I was looking at the, the federal budget and this is an area where I'm not an expert, but you know, like we're going to spend something like, you know, $700 billion on Medicare next year. And you know, it, the estimates are, are, are a guess clearly, but like 80 to 90% of that's chronic disease. Yep. And like, can we cure all chronic disease? No. Can we wipe out a big chunk of that? Okay, so let's say we're sending $600 billion on chronic disease and we wipe out half of that, like $300 billion we can free up. Can you imagine the things that we could do with that in public health initiatives if we were to just you know, cut that in half? Now, is that practical? No, but, but this is my pie in the sky type thinking where it's like, hey, let's, let's take a big swing at this stuff. Let's improve people's quality of life. Like let's, let's knock out big chunks of like, you know, type two diabetes and heart disease. And like, let's knock out a bunch of cancer. Nobody wants that stuff. That stuff's miserable. Right. Like, uh, so, you know, th this is kind of the pie in the sky thinking is, um, you know, let, let's take a shot at some of that stuff. And those that are willing, you know, I think that's where we start. Love it, man. I love it. So I want to ask you uh, some of the personal questions I like to ask all my guests on the show. And uh, the first one is kind of how I expand my circle of who I'm being influenced by or who I'm hearing about. And the, so the first one is who's influencing you right now? And uh, 
how they've been impacting you? You know, I think three people kind of come to mind here. Um, you know, the the first one is like, I'm really inspired by Kelly Starrett's professional arc. Like mm -hmm. that's been very impressive. And so like I met Kelly Starrett, you know, way back when he was doing his first round of mobility certifications with CrossFit. And like, so I got to know who he was before the mobility project. He was publishing just like an occasional blog from San Francisco CrossFit. And I remember reading on his blog about some mobility stuff. And I was like, man, this dude's smart. And like, you, you have to admit, like Kelly Starrett's a special guy. Like he, he's got some incredible talents and like he deserves 100%. to be, yeah, he deserves to be wildly successful. But like f funny little story about Kelly Starrett that makes me kind of a lifetime fan. So I went to one of his original mobility certs and he, you know, there's a bunch of people. There's probably what, 50 people there at this mobility cert. And like we, uh, we got to talk one-on-one -on -one some, but like I was just one of many people and had a blast. Like he taught me some amazing stuff. Later about, I would say, I think a year later, we're at the 2010 CrossFit Games and I see him in the parking lot of the Home Depot Center and he's just you know, he, he's on his longboard, just, just being Kelly Surratt, just longboarding through the parking lot, just being super cool. And, you know, he kicks his board up and catches it. And I was like, yo, Kelly. And he turns and he looks at me and he like pauses a beat. And he goes, Tyler. And it was just like, you know, it, it was incredible. Like that he remembered my name was such a long shot. And, uh, and so I'm going to be a huge fan of his for life. He did, I guarantee he doesn't have any idea who I am at this point, but like watching his his, his like professional arc is awesome. And like, talk about a guy that is doing some incredible work in the fitness space. Like he's inspiring, um, the way he has grown and become popular and gotten his message out and continue to develop that message, I think is, is really inspiring. Um, a little bit kind of, I think less known is there's a, there's a guy that I follow on social media that I think puts out some really brilliant stuff. His name is Jake Dolshaw. Um, he's Australian and, uh, he just is doing some really interesting work in the fitness and nutrition space and puts out some really valuable information. Like I, he does a lot of work around blood work and reading and understanding blood work that I think is incredibly valuable, that is not mainstream. And that's become a big part of my practice. Um, so I'm learning a great deal from him. I think he's really smart. Um, and I, I learn stuff from him every day. Um, you know, kind of the last person I think it's influencing me uh, is a, a personal friend of mine. Her name's Nicole. And uh, she has left Manhattan. She was working for, um, you know, a, a, a very big name designer um, who I, I won't mention. Everybody would know the name, but like was working for a huge designer and has done the Manhattan lifestyle. She's been very successful on that front and decided it was not for her. She left and she's now starting a life coaching business. And she just kind of decided to take this hard right turn because she wasn't you know, wasn't being served by the life that she was living and she made some hard decisions. She's kind of starting over and she's doing some life coaching stuff. And, uh, her and I know each other because we went to high school together and we recently reconnected and she's been incredibly positive, very supportive in the transition, the professional transition that I'm making from owning a facility to, you know, rebuilding a business from scratch, doing remote coaching. And so she's been awesome and very inspiring. She has, just a wonderfully positive attitude. She's always got something savvy and intelligent to say, and she, she's super supportive. So it's, it's, it's really cool to see somebody who was being very successful in another realm, kind of take a turn, want to help people get in and coach people and do so in a powerful way. So, uh, you know, we, we can, uh, link to her coaching program in the notes. I think it's something that, you know, would be really powerful for everybody to have access to. 
in terms of her life coaching, but yeah, she's been very supportive and inspiring in the process here. Very cool, man. I, I appreciate you sharing. I, I definitely relate to the one with, with Kelly Starrett too. Uh, I never got the chance to meet the guy, but he, you know, there's uh, something that I've learned from uh, the tactical shooter community, um, being an instructor there and coaching people. And it's like, you could have the best skill set in the world, man. You could be a genius when it comes to understanding movement or programming or nutrition, what, you know, shooting, whatever your specialty is, right? But gosh, that ability to communicate and connect with people, and it sounds like your friend Nicole has this as well, is so huge, man, because it, it, if you can't communicate and connect well with people, man, you, you never really help translate that stuff and pass that knowledge on and hand it off. So that's such a huge thing, and it sounds like you definitely connect with people that, that have that. And I know you have it too as a coach, otherwise you wouldn't be successful. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I think that's uh, that may be a touch too kind. That's an area where I'm always trying to improve. And you know, I, I think you do a wonderful job. Like I, I think it's fascinating how you you have this foot in many worlds here. Like you're not only uh, you know a tactical operator, but like you run this podcast and you're so talented at like doing this and kind of pulling you know interesting nuggets and great information out of people in, in this format. But are also you know a devout fitness professional and like put out great content there. So yeah, it's a uh, you know, when I communicate with people like you and like we touch base, like I'm always trying to pick up stuff, you know, on how you connect with people too. So it's hopefully an area where I continue to grow, but thank you. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. The next question is, what does the term warrior monk mean to you, man? What do you think of when you hear that? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I, my mind goes a few different directions, but I think my my knee jerk reaction on like what warrior monk to me, what warrior monk means to me is like the the kind of the kind of like healthy masculinity we need in the world right now. Because to me, it speaks to a bunch of different values. I think you know the warrior aspect. I think is is the you know the the developed ability to be aggressive, the developed ability to take action, to be courageous to be, you know, uh, decisive in all that ways. And then the monk aspect is, is taking all of that, that violence, or if you're a Jordan Peterson fan, like being a monster, I think is how he puts it. And then the monk piece is this discipline that we wrap it in. And then, you know, is, is having the discipline and the habits and the capacity to keep all of that under control. So to be, you know, capable and to be, you know, aggressive and, and, um, you know, violent, I guess, if necessary, that's, that's more your world than mine, but then wrap this in something that has, you know, honor and discipline and judgment and reservation. Um, to me, I think it, it's, it is like just a set of virtues that I think is something that I would, I would strive to hold myself. And I think I've got a long ways to go. Um, you know, hopefully it's a journey that never ends. Um, but yeah, that, you know, I think a lot of those pieces kind of come together there. I think of, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson talking about, you know, like, you know, to be harmless is not virtuous. You know, you want, you want to be the monster. You want to be capable of chaos and, and, and then wrap that in discipline and control and, and only let that out when absolutely necessary, but rather, you know, avoid the need to bring it out because, uh, because of your presence, because of your discipline. So I don't know that that's how I interpret it. Uh, I would be interested in what you think about that. And how does that compare to your definition? 
Well, I don't know if I have a, a true definition. It seems like mine's constantly evolving based off of the guests and the fellow warrior, warrior monks that I have on this podcast. Um, but I agree with you. It's, uh, it's, you know, it is about duality. And I do think that, um, yeah, I don't agree with everything that, uh, that Jordan Peterson says, but I, I do agree with him on that being harmless is not virtuous. Um, you know, there's like other quotes out there, right. That are like all it takes for, you know, for evil to take hold in the world is for like good men to stand idly by kind of thing, uh, men or women. Cause we've got plenty of women that are working in, in, you know, defense of our nation and as police officers and everything else too. But, um, Yes, but also being able to hold it in reserve. So it, the definition that I currently hold is very much in line with yours, but it's definitely something that I think um, continues to evolve with me in my life, depending on what side of the fence maybe I'm currently standing on. If I'm currently holding the, holding the sword of the, of the warrior or the staff of the monk. So it, it's constantly evolving. I like it. I like it. And you seem to do both well. We'll we'll see. It's it's a it's a constant evolution for myself as well, man. Which is watch is why I decided to pitch it as the theme of this, anyways. Like <laughs> trying to find that balance place is has been constantly the uh, the challenge of my life. But I appreciate your take on it, man, because I always get a little bit. You know, it seems like I get about a forty to fifty percent overlap of what people say, and then there's always like a little bit a little bit of a nugget that they have that's that's their own and, and is different and i always always like hearing that because it kind of gives me my own kind of change of perspective on it too and something new to incorporate into how i'm viewing the the concept myself um so yeah it's it's fun for me but tyler thanks so much man for joining me uh i've been wanting to do this for a while it's uh it's been a matter of kind of finding the time and making the time to do it um but i think kind of where I'm currently at and where you're currently at, uh, it, it lined up just about perfect. So I really appreciate you being here, man. If people want to find out more about your, your coaching program, they want to follow you, uh, where can they go? How can they find you? Well, first Lance has been a pleasure. Uh, really enjoyed chatting with you. If people would like to learn more, uh, I'm on Instagram at train with NHP. Uh, the NHP is Nicholson human performance. Uh, so train with NHP and then, uh, you know, on Twitter as well, uh, train with NHP or NicholsonHP.com uh, are good ways to reach me. Well, I wish you all the best success in the and moving forward in the future. And I'm I'm curious to see like more tidbits that you put out about coaching and nutrition and fitness stuff in the future. And I know we'll be in touch, man. Thanks again. Thank you, Lance. Well, I hope everyone did enjoy my conversation with Tyler. If you want to go check him out, give him a follow, or have inquiries about training or coaching opportunities, please go check him out at Train with NHP. He's got great content on his page, and my personal favorite lately is he's been doing reviews of the typical protein and energy bars that you can get off of the shelf at your regular grocery stores. He's got a lot of good feedback on what's good or bad about them and his overall take. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, Please do me a favor and go ahead and go to wherever you streamed it from or download it from. Give us a review. I appreciate the feedback. I do go and read reviews. Also, if you would consider joining the Warrior Monk Patreon and be a contributing member so we can keep producing content, I would love it if you would do that as well. You can find it over at www.patreon.com forward slash WM podcast. 
Also, feel free to share this with a friend, family, or loved one who you think is also a warrior monk. If you can think of someone that you would like to see as a guest on the Warrior Monk podcast, or you have ideas for a future episode, please feel free to go over to our Instagram page at the Warrior Monk podcast or on Facebook. Leave a direct message. I love hearing from people who have listened to the podcast and be interested to what you have to say about feedback or new material moving forward with the podcast. Thanks as always for listening, and I hope until the next episode you continue to grow through balance. That's what we're all about here on the Warrior Monk Podcast. This is Lance, signing out.